The text is from the New Testament, from the letter of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. The inspired author James writes as follows, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Thus far from God's word. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, the average person uses about 30,000 words per day. That's a lot of words. Most of us speak enough words each day to fill a book. If you multiply that by the days in your lifetime, you would be able to fill a good-sized library with volumes of books written just by you. During a typical worship service, I will use from six to 8,000 words. And so each Sunday, I use up a good part of my allotment per day, just during the two worship services. Hundreds of people listen to what I have to say, not just in this building, but also on the Internet. All my words are recorded. And so during a worship service, I am careful with my words. Before I open my mouth on this pulpit, I will have carefully thought about what I will say and how I will say it. I spend a good part of the week preparing myself. But did you know that all your words, day in, day out, are recorded as well? And do you know who does that recording? Well, the Lord God. He keeps a record of each word that we speak. He bugs our conversation every day. He is always listening in. And he holds us accountable for every word we utter. The Lord Jesus made that clear in Matthew 12, verse 36, where he says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. 
and therefore we must speak and act as though we are already facing judgment. Sadly, the words that we speak are not always wholesome words, are they? Just think about this morning before you came to church. Especially if you have little children to get ready, you may have spoken a few angry and unwise and perhaps unkind words. And perhaps after the worship service, you will get into the family car and gossip about others or argue with each other all the way home. That's often the way it goes with us, doesn't it? And so what's the matter with us? Well, the matter with us is that we have unruly tongues. James's words here in chapter 3 are just as fitting now as they were 2,000 years ago. James speaks about the power of the tongue. With our tongues we can achieve a great deal. With words you could either build up or tear down. You can accomplish great things, but you can also do a lot of damage. The tongue is a very powerful instrument. And that's what I will preach to you about this morning. It is about the power of the tongue. That's also the theme. It has the power in the first place to direct the course of life. In the second place to destroy the circle of life. And finally to heal the source of life. First then, it can direct the course of life. Earlier in his letter, James indicated that he would come to the subject of the tongue. He said back in chapter 1, verse 26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And in verse 19 he writes that everyone should be quick to hear and slow to speak. The tongue is a dangerous weapon and must be used with extreme caution. It must be handled with care. It's like a stick of dynamite. You had better not let it slip. A proverb says, though feet should slip, never let the tongue. Surprisingly, James begins by singling out a specific group, namely teachers. When we think about teachers, we think about those who teach in an elementary or high school or university or about ministers and elders. But if that were the case, then most of you sitting in the pews would be let off the hook. However, that's not what James has in mind here. The scripture considers all of us to be teachers. Listen, for example, to how the author of the letter to the Hebrews addresses his readers. He says in chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. He expects all his readers to be well enough equipped to be teachers. Yet James writes here that not many of them should become teachers. And why does he say that? Well, apparently they were at war with each other about the leadership in the church, about who should be a leader or a teacher. And therefore he gives them a warning. They had better know what they're doing. Being a teacher carries with it a lot of responsibility and requires a certain skill and discernment. 
before you open your mouth, you must first know whether the information you're going to pass on is beneficial to the other person. And therefore, you must, first of all, be a good listener and do your utmost to understand where the other person is coming from and what their need is. This is especially when you want to instruct someone about the Christian faith. You first need to establish a connection, a relationship. Before you teach them about faith, you must demonstrate that you are genuinely interested in them and that you care about them. And the way to do that is to try to understand their background and circumstances. Most people you meet on the street or at the workplace know something about the Christian faith. But typically they are misinformed and have many misconceptions. And so you have to know what are those mistaken beliefs? What are they misinformed about? What keeps them from coming to the saving knowledge about Christ? What are the obstacles? Are they disappointed in Christian people they have met? Or do they have certain misconceptions about the Bible? What is it? Every person is unique. They all have their own specific backgrounds. And you can only discover these things by listening to them and trying to understand their point of view. Only then can you apply God's word to them. It must be applied to them within their own specific situation and context. For we live in a world which does not reflect God's world. Modern man has shaped this world into a world of their own making. A world wherein God's words have been twisted and changed and even eradicated. The word sin, for example, has all but been removed from the public square. Other words are either eradicated or changed to mean something completely different. At one time, a gay person indicated somebody who is joyful. But we know what it refers to now, don't we? Only a few years ago, we all knew what a boy or a girl is, or what a father or a mother is. But now, if the progressives have their way, boys can be girls and girls boys, and mothers should now be referred to as birthing people. The devil knows that words and labels are powerful. They create a certain image in our minds and change our way of thinking, and therefore the direction of the course of life. For that reason, we must teach others to use biblical language, especially our children, which is our most important task. Our children live in this modern perverted world and are profoundly affected by it. But they have to know what their real world is, the world as he has created it as God has created it. But you can only reach them and understand them if you understand where the young people are coming from. To what extent has this world influenced them? And in what way? What is clear to us older people may not be clear and obvious to them. And what is a priority for you and for me may not be a priority for them either. Our children are all unique. We read from Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, 
he will not depart from it. Our children must understand biblical language and how that applies to them. They have to be taught a Christian worldview. And that happens in the home and also in the catechism classes and in the Christian school. As it says in Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 about God's laws, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, they must be bathed in God's words. And that must be done with wisdom. Proverbs 22 verse 6 literally says, Train a child according to the demand of his way. And that is how some older translations have it. And so a better translation would be, Train a child in accordance with his unique abilities and context. And when he is old, he will remain on the right track. In other words, find out the kind of world that your child lives in. Listen to him or her. How do they understand their world, which is lived a lot on smartphones, on the Internet, on apps that we are may not be aware of? And then show with words and deeds, what God's world is all about. The way to bring up a child is not by lecturing them or overwhelming them with a flood of statements and instructions and do's and don'ts. We must use our words wisely and judiciously and make sure they apply to them. To instruct them in the way of the Bible does not mean that you impose your personal likes and dislikes upon your child No, let them live their own life in accordance with their own desires and aptitudes and abilities, not yours. While at the same time, make sure that whatever their preferences are, whatever direction they want to go in, they always stay within the parameters of God's laws. Brothers and sisters, that gives them an enormous amount of room for God wants all of us to enjoy and interact with his creation to the fullest in accordance with our own talents and preferences. There are numerous ways in which we can do that. And there are abundant ways in which we can praise God and live our lives. God gives us a lot of freedom. A teacher will not be effective unless he also practices what he preaches. As James is famous for pointing out, faith without deeds is dead. Some parents say one thing to a child and to and then do something themselves completely different. And that does a lot of damage, especially if that's their pattern. The kids will see their parents for the hypocrites that they are and will reject their teaching. Parents and teachers must be good role models. Children imitate us for good or for bad. If critical words constantly come from our mouths, our children would also be critical. That's why we should also be careful about the way we speak about the members of the church and about the leaders and the ministers and the elders. If they hear nothing but criticism, don't be surprised that your child when they are of the age of consent, stops going to church. Why should they go to a church where there are nothing but bad people? Oh, sure, we are sinful people, 
And that's why James also says that we stumble in many things. And he includes himself in this. He says no one is perfect in that regard. We're all prone to slips of the tongue. I don't think that James is saying this because he wants us to have a way out. We can't help ourselves because that's the way we are. That's not what he means. What he means is that we speak, that when we speak to others, that we must keep in mind that we are sinners, just like they. The word that he uses for stumbling literally means to sin or to transgress. Don't come to others with a superior attitude as if you are better than they are, as if you know everything. No, you're a stumbler like everybody else. And so be humble. Apologize and ask for forgiveness when you have seriously misspoken. People do not respond very well to those who are smug and self-righteous. You will not come across to others as a compassionate and understanding person. But people do respond to kindness and gentleness. If you want to teach others, you do so in humility. And that quality is especially necessary for an office bearer. James says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. As another translation says, he will be able to keep his whole body in check. Who can do that? No one. I know I can't. But when James uses the word perfect, he refers to maturity. And that's the theme that he develops throughout his whole letter. He urges his readers to the maturity of faith. But those who are mature in speech know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. And they know when to keep their mouths shut. They have a good sense of what is proper in the moment and within the context. James uses some very good illustrations to make his points. He compares the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth and to the rudder of ships. Those two little items are quite small, yet exercise great power. You can control a powerful horse with a bit, and with a rudder you can steer a huge ship. Horses are often used as an example of power. That's why today we speak about the horsepower of a motor. But a horse needs to be controlled. And you do that by putting a bit in his mouth so that you can overcome the wild nature of the horse. And a rudder of a ship is only a tiny part. But you use it to control a large ship to fight the winds and the currents that otherwise drive it off course. There are also other kinds of things that threaten to drive us off course. Our sinful nature wants to control us and make us do and say all kinds of nasty things. And that sinful nature needs to be restrained. And for that reason, we have to continually to learn to use our tongues in the right way and steering others in the right direction. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, never underestimate how you can direct the lives of others by the use of well-chosen words. Think, for example, of how the Lord Jesus used his words and how he directed the lives of others. He spoke, he spoke words of healing to those down and out, to the prostitutes and the sinners. 
He spoke to the woman at the well, for example, and her life completely changed, as were the lives of her neighbors. He spoke kindly to her, even though she was a Samaritan and was hated by the Jews. The very fact that he spoke kindly to her made her think. It made her think about the message of salvation that Jesus was bringing. And that's what it's all about. It's about changing the lives of others for good so that they may know and be given eternal life. Do you want to direct the lives of your children, of your loved ones, and be a positive influence on them so that they will direct their lives in the right way? Then use your tongues wisely. Use it the way the Lord Jesus used it, by being kind, compassionate, forgiving, and yet by setting clear boundaries and by holding people accountable for their actions. With our tongues, we can do a lot of damage. In verse 6, James compares the tongue to a fire and states that the tongue sets the whole course of nature, of life, on fire. When he speaks here about the course of nature, of life, he uses an expression that means circle of life. James suggests that the various aspects of our lives are connected like spokes in a wheel. He is referring to all aspects of human existence from beginning to end. Your life is shaped by the kinds of things that happen to you throughout the years. You cannot divorce the present from the past. It's all connected. And that is why James makes the point that you can destroy someone, that you can destroy someone's life, with your tongue. If a child grows up in nothing but criticism and harsh words, then he or she will have a tough time throughout their whole life. You may even destroy that child's life. But if a child grows up with kind and encouraging words, the opposite happens. You build them up and inspire them to live their lives to the fullest. Peaceful, gentle, and kind words are the building blocks of life. When God spoke, we came into existence and were put into a delightful relationship with him. After the fall into sin, he spoke again and promised to save us from the evil one. These were words of love, care, and compassion, and wisdom. And those were powerful words. Can you imagine if God had not spoken those words? It's unimaginable. Don't think that your words or mine are not powerful as well. They are. If you want to give your children or your wife or your husband a good life, then you do that by the kinds of words you speak. And if you want to destroy their life, then you also do that by the kinds of words you speak. Words are extremely powerful. If you constantly say to your child, for example, that, she is stupid or ugly or whatever, then you do great damage. It's a label that they will be wearing and which will haunt them for the rest of their lives. That's how they then will see themselves. Labels stick like a fire. It can destroy you. As James says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, setting on fire the entire course of life. When I lived in Houston, in northern British Columbia, a small community set in a large valley, 
amid giant forests. There's a sizable strip in the midst of the forest close to town, which was destroyed by fire. When the fire was raging, the town of Houston was greatly endangered. It affected the people adversely, as you can imagine. Now, later on, they were reminded of that fire whenever they went out for a drive and came across a swath of that great section blackened by the fire. That fire made quite an impact. People talked about it for years. No wonder, for it had the power to destroy a substantial portion of the forest and almost destroyed that town of 4,000 people. The fire came to be known as the Swiss Fire because it was accidentally set by someone from Switzerland who was there on a holiday. However, the Swiss Embassy did not like that it was constantly referred to by the natives as the Swiss Fire, for they felt that the reputation of Switzerland to be negatively affected in this way. And this story reminds me of the power of labels, but also of the power of fire. One thoughtless moment by a single person created much havoc and even threatened a whole country's reputation. Well, says James, the same thing is true of the tongue. One thoughtless remark can destroy the circle of life. You can interrupt someone's mental well-being for a lifetime by making careless, hurtful remarks. You can significantly alter another person's mood and ability to function. And that is especially the case if you are in the position of power or influence. A parent, a school teacher, an elder or a minister, a deacon. Unkind words spoken behind a person's back are also very damaging. And let's face it, they're all pretty good gossips, aren't we? We like to talk about other people. That's one of our favorite pastimes. The book of Proverbs reminds us that when we do that, we add wood to the fire. It says in Proverbs 26 for 20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. A tailbearer is someone who gossips. Another translation says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. When there is a fire, it is often not the fire that does all the damage. No, you can have a small fire that can do a great smoke damage. A fire spreads its misery around. As James says, it is hard to tame a wild animal. However, it is even harder to tame our tongue. As someone said, the most untamable thing in the world has its den behind the teeth. James describes the tongue as a restless evil full of deadly poison. And how true that is. Think about the wrong language that constantly flows from our mouths. With our words we express anger and bitterness. And with our words we express our sinful desires about the things we want to fulfill our lives. Our words are often selfish and self-serving. But our tongues express what lives in our hearts. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Our heart is the storehouse of our emotions and our desires. 
and the unsanctified heart is full of wrong desires and goals and ambitions. It is indeed a world of evil. James says that our tongue is set on fire by hell. That's quite a strong statement. But look at what Satan did with his words. He tempted Adam and Eve and he spoke lies to them. He twisted God's words. His words were full of venom. As Lord Jesus says in John 8 verse 44, Satan is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. But our tongues do not need to be set on fire by hell. Do you know how the tongues of the apostles were set on fire on that first day of Pentecost? Their tongues were set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And that fire is a purifying fire. That fire from heaven burns away all the impurities that live inside of us and come out of us through the mouth. When our tongues are set on fire by the Holy Spirit, then they are a mighty tool in the service of the Lord. Then they are a mighty tool in the building up of the church, in the building up of families, in the building up of friendships and all kinds of relationships. But if the heart is full of hatred, envy, and bitterness, then Satan is the one who is lighting the fire. And then all what we do with our tongues is destroyed. James says that the tongue is remarkably versatile. With the tongue we can praise our Lord and Father, and with it we can curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. But our tongue is meant for the healing, for healing the source of life. Brothers and sisters, why did God create us? He created us to praise his name, didn't he? Indeed. That is the primary activity of the tongue. Words of praise must come out of our mouths. James compares the mouth to a spring of water. He says that it is impossible that both fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring. The spring that produces fresh and wholesome water gives water that gives life. It gives life to vegetation and to animals and man. The world cannot exist without fresh water. That is because water is the spring of all life. It is a life-giving source. And the same thing is true of the source of life for human beings. The source for, of life for us is God's Word and the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. The proverb says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Of course, water can also do a lot of damage. Just think about floods. They bring death and destruction. And so can our words. As it says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Cool water is refreshing. So are well-chosen words. It was Paul's prayer to the Romans that he may come to them with joy and be refreshed in their company. He says in Romans 15, verse 32. How do we know that they refreshed each other? Well, what do you think they talked about together? About other people? About all the things that are wrong in this world? Including the church and the people in it? And what's wrong with all the politics that's going on and everything that's negative in this world? No, they talked about the gospel and how 
it refreshed them and invigorated them and how joyful that made them and how their fellow believers have rejuvenated them with their words. No doubt they also talked about how they might bring others to know the glorious gospel of salvation. Kind and upholding and upbuilding and encouraging words can be so refreshing. They are the source of life. Brothers and sisters, the words you hear from the pulpit and that are faithful to God's inspired word are also words of life. And that is why it is also so important that we come together every first day of the week to hear God's word. Without God's word, you're dead. Every time God speaks to you, he tells you in one way or the other that he loves you, that he graciously and mercifully forgives you your sins, and that he wants to dwell with you forever and ever, that he wants to be near you. That is, he wants to dwell in your heart. And these are wonderful words. They are building words. These are words of eternal life. When the Lord Jesus spoke his words, it was always with the aim to bring others closer to their Father in heaven. And that it should always be our aim as well. Our words must be chosen to direct others to the source of life, which is God. It doesn't mean that you should not be, that you cannot be critical of other people, but be critical of yourself first. And make sure that if you do criticize, that it is constructive and that it is done in love and that it is done to bring others closer to God. The tongue can be such a delightful instrument. And that is why James also compares the tongue to a tree. Trees are essential for life of, of the earth. They produce clean air. They hold down the soil. They provide beauty and shade and they bear fruit. In Proverbs 10, verse 21, we read, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, let your tongues be instruments of nourishment, of healing. We all stumble in many things, James says. Indeed, we are a bunch of stumbling fools, aren't we? But it is especially because of that that words can be so healing. When we do wrong, as we do all the time, an apology goes a long way. We're often quick to criticize, but slow to apologize, if we apologize at all. Wrong words leave festering wounds, but kind and humble words are like ointment on those wounds. Brothers and sisters, God has given us a fantastic tool. It's very powerful. Use it in the way that he intended it. But it's not something you can do in your own power. You need God's help. And so pray daily that you may use your tongue for healing rather than wounding, for upbuilding rather than tearing down. As Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person he preceded that advice in verse 2 by saying, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. It is through prayer that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you. Pray for your tongue to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And then God will bless you and make you a great blessing. Amen.